0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. The house where I grew up stood on a quiet corner in Plainfield, New Jersey, surrounded by a hedge. To my sister and me as children, our hedge was a source of security and magic, kind of like a year-round Christmas tree. In autumn, the wind would sweep fallen leaves into its lower branches, trapped in their embrace until my dad raked them out into great piles for burning. One fall afternoon, when I was maybe four years old, I I thought it might be fun to light a match and burn some of the leaves caught in the hedge. They were dry as paper, and the flame spread surprisingly quickly. I rushed inside to fetch a glass of water, But by the time I returned, the blaze was beyond my power to extinguish. I ran to my mother, who called the fire department, who put out the fire before it spread more than a few yards along the hedge. Soon afterward, I was a guest of the fire department, (laughs) where I was given a comic book about fire safety and a badge making me an official junior deputy fire chief. (laughs) Where it had burned, the hedge never really recovered, stunted forever by my short-sightedness and self-absorption. But I I was just four years old. Today the world is on fire, and no one knows how to put it out. Already this year, there have been lethal heat waves in Pakistan, Australia, and Argentina, horrific wildfires in Russia, drought in Kenya and Somalia, desperate water shortages in Afghanistan and South Africa, extreme storms and flooding in Hawaii, India, Oman, and Yemen, unprecedented melting of the Bering Sea ice, and the 400th consecutive month of higher-than-average global temperature. Those who have done the least to cause global warming are the ones suffering most from its impacts. Last Thursday saw Africa's hottest temperature in recorded history 124.3 degrees Fahrenheit in Algeria. Now Africa has 16 percent of the world's population and produces just 3.8 percent of all greenhouse gases, that's the entire continent. In the Turkana region of Kenya, rising temperatures have ravaged livestock, fishing, and drinking water. I don't know what climate change is, says one elder, but I know from all the changes, the constant droughts, the seasons are gone, these are changes happening in our land. Our life is becoming hard, and we can't do anything. I'll die any but what of my grandchildren? I want them to have a future. But what are their lives going to be? His wife adds, maybe God knows how we'll survive. Any sermon on climate change is necessarily a meditation on hope. The great Unitarian preacher and abolitionist Theodore Parker once asked, what is transient in Christianity and what is permanent? We must ask, what is transient in human life on Earth and what is permanent? What's transient? The snows of Kilimanjaro, glaciers in Glacier National Park, Polar bears in the wild, ancient forests, Vermont maple syrup, cheap gasoline, shopping malls, Cape Cod, Boston, stable food supply, stable government, and much, much more. Beyond our comprehension. What's permanent? Love. Love. As for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. But love never ends love and its attendance, faith and hope. A meditation on hope. Every religious tradition forbids theft. Climate change is theft, theft from our own children and from the most vulnerable people on the planet, most of them poor and of color. Every religious tradition commands us to care for creation. Climate change desecrates creation. Every religious tradition condemns materialism and greed. Climate change is the consequence of our making an idol of materialism and greed. Every religious tradition calls us to care for the weak and helpless among us. Climate change devastates the weak and helpless among us. A meditation on hope Scott Pruitt is forced out as administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, not because he took a wrecking ball to the climate, but because he never saw an ethical lapse he didn't like. The new acting administrator, former coal lobbyist Andrew Wheeler, is likely to be as bad or even worse because more quietly effective in dismantling environmental protections. A meditation on hope. Given the threats we face, isn't hope just pie in the sky? No. Given the threats we face, hope is a necessity. Everything that is done in the world, Dr. King told us, is done by hope. Hope is a catalyst, explains Nick Voychuk. A 33-year-old Australian, born with no arms and no legs. It can move obstacles that seem immovable, Nick says. When you keep pushing, refusing to give up, you create momentum. Hope creates opportunities you never would have anticipated. Helpful people are drawn to you. Doors open. Paths are cleared. Defeat happens only to those who refuse to try again. I have no idea how challenging life without arms or legs must be. Climate change poses global challenges of a different magnitude entirely. What kind of hope can companion us through the perilous decades to come? The last great chief of the Crow Nation was a man named Chia Aush, also known as plenty Cou, who led his people as white conquest turned their world upside down. In the 1850s, when he was a boy, the Crow were a powerful tribe of nomadic hunters. As an old man, plenty Cou recalled, when the buffalo went away, the hearts of my people fell to the ground and they could not lift them up again. After this, nothing happened. There was little singing anywhere. Under Plenty Coup's leadership, the Crow allied themselves with the United States against the Crow's traditional enemies. The Cheyenne and Sioux. When the wars ended, Plenty Coup took up farming and urged his people to do the same. He encouraged young Crow to educate themselves in the white schools and to be open to the white religion. This strategy preserved his people, their best land, and the essence of who they were in the face of disaster. Now, where some might understandably see in Plenty-Coup's strategy a craven collaboration with the oppressor, philosopher Jonathan Lear sees profound courage. In their most desperate hour, Lear suggests perhaps what the Crow needed most was not another war chief to fall in glorious battle, but a new Crow poet a creative maker of meaningful space, of a new field of possibilities. plenty embodied what Lear calls radical hope, a commitment to, quote, a goodness that transcends one's current understanding of the good, a commitment to the bare idea that something good will emerge. It's basically the hope for revival, for coming back to life in the form, in a form that is not yet intelligible. This hope is held in the face of the recognition that given the abyss, one cannot really know what survival means. Climate change is a certainty with profound consequences both predictable and unpredictable stopping it is impossible it's too late for that responding to it is inescapable we did not choose this calling no more than did plenty coup we would not choose it that's why it's called a calling and not a choice. Moses, Mary, Paul, Muhammad, scripture is filled with stories of people just going about their lives when God calls them to a very different purpose. I was a parish minister for 16 years, the last seven as senior minister of First Parish in Cambridge, Massachusetts, in Harvard Square. In the fall of 2015, I left parish ministry to devote my energies to climate advocacy, especially among religious communities. Not all of us are called to quit our jobs. But all of us are called to act. It's no longer enough to shrink our personal carbon footprint or even to green our congregation. These are good things to do, but many of us have been doing them for decades, and the earth has only grown hotter. We've got to do more. To stop climate change, we need national and state policies and international treaties to keep carbon in the ground and transition as rapidly as possible to safe, carbon-free, renewable energy. This will require a political insurrection. And because the political process is usually slow and compromised, People in frontline communities across the country are launching campaigns of nonviolent direct action to prevent expansion of the fossil fuel delivery system. Listen to this joint statement by religious leaders. Global warming is predicted to increase temperatures worldwide, causing climate patterns, increasing drought. changing climate patterns, increasing drought, threatening agriculture, and creating millions of environmental refugees. We reaffirm in the strongest possible terms the indivisibility of social justice and ecological integrity. Economic equity, racial justice, gender equality, and environmental well-being are interconnected and all are essential to peace. To help ensure these, We pledge to mobilize public opinion and to appeal to elected officials. We dare not let our resolve falter. This statement was signed by the heads of major Christian denominations and prominent ministers, priests, and rabbis. Inspiring words. And they would be even more inspiring had they not been published in 1991, a quarter century. Ago. Pope Francis' 2015 encyclical on climate, Laudato Si, is also inspiring, but as Pope Francis himself understands very well, it is not self-executing. It must be leveraged into political power. Unless citizens control political power, Pope Francis declares, national, regional, and municipal, it will not be possible to control damage to the environment. Changing a light bulb is good. Changing a senator is better. The climate crisis is solvable. Solutions are all around us. Wind, solar, conservation, efficiency, smart growth, smart infrastructure, bio-agriculture, eco-restoration. Personal transformation, community transformation, institutional transformation, and political transformation go hand in hand. None can succeed without the rest. We must be bolder smarter, more creative, more faithful than ever before. If you'd like to be on my mailing list for religious climate activism here in Massachusetts, please see me after worship. I've got a clipboard. And now I ask you to imagine that you and I are passengers on the great ship Titanic. On its maiden crossing of the North Atlantic. Suddenly, the huge vessel shudders. Gradually, with agonizing slowness, we come to realize first that the ship has been struck, then that it has been breached, then, can it be possible that it's in trouble? And finally, that it's sinking. At each stage we might feel shock disbelief outrage how could this be happening how could those in charge have been so reckless can i still get a refund for my ticket but eventually some of us some of us will cross the threshold from shock disbelief and outrage into an acceptance of our circumstance. Not an acceptance that it's acceptable or just or fair, but an acceptance that it is. And then, if we are wise enough and brave enough, we will turn from complaint to commitment. How do I live my life for the rest of my life? To what purpose am I faithful? How courageously and creatively can I respond to this catastrophe? How can I serve? How can I sacrifice? And in that turning, in that turning, there is a moment when we find ourselves standing on the tilting deck, lashed by wind and spray, and gripped by a wild, extravagant, even fearless joy. Life without meaning says Nick Voyacek, has no hope. Life without hope has no faith. If you find a way to contribute, you will find your meaning, and hope and faith will naturally follow and accompany you into your future. Against our will, but with our faith, we are called into a future beyond our dreams, beyond our nightmares, beyond our comprehension. We are called to build a new world of safe and sustainable energy, of justice and compassion, of care for the sacred web of life. We are called to courage and sacrifice, and imagination. We are called to radical hope. Amen. And blessed be. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at